0: Welcome to MotorPod, the internet radio show all about motorcycle road racing. This is episode number 681. I'm Richard Jarrett in the UK. Joining me as ever over in the States is Jim McDowell. Jim, good evening. Evening, guys. Uh, rough day today,
1: Rich. You know, you have those work days that are one of those days. Yeah. Experiencing I, one of those days. So, we all get one of those from time so, to time. That's why I'm ready to sit down and talk motorcycles, because that's something that's going to bring back the enjoyment and the pleasure that was not there today
0: at the office. Oh, dear. For sure. We won't go into details, but no. uh, yeah, let, let's have a little bit of escapism then. So we ran through last week the list of people that very kindly subscribe or regularly donate to the show. We won't read the list out again, but something that we did just this last weekend is a, hopefully a little bit of a thanks and a reward to the people that regularly do throw some pennies into the pot. Was We had a little uh, group chat with these guys. So, Jim, do you want to just talk a little bit about Because it was your idea. So do you want to just talk us through what we did and why we did it? Yeah, so we were we
1: we'd been talking for a long time as to some way to thank everyone and and try to give back to the people who are subscribing to the show because it does cost server space is not cheap, bandwidth isn't cheap, and, and you know our agreement with the uh, Dorna to have access and things of that nature aren't cheap. So We thought, well, let's just have like, what's better than, I've I've never known people who race motorcycles who didn't want to bench race. The technology obviously is mature now because we've been through a year of lockdowns and whatnot. Like, why why can't we just do a Zoom meeting? Throw it out there to everybody who subscribes, people who want to join can. And we picked a time. I thought we had a, you know, we had a few people that showed up. We had like five or six of us on there. I think we had a great time. It was very cool to see the people who are propping up the show. I mean, you and I are sort of the talking heads that are there but it's the people in the background who don't have a say that we don't get a chance to meet greet talk to get to see them and listen to what they had to say and some of the things we talked about were extremely interesting it was different than what we do on the show normally there was so many different opinions that went back forth it showed a lot of things to me that were I never think about because I sort of have my one side and and you have your side and, and we're sort of in line a lot but we differ but this was very different to see what other people had to say about everything from the show to marquez to rossi to all these other things that we just talked about i think we rambled on for a quick two hours i mean it yep. flew by it was gone and i enjoyed it i just wanted to thank everybody who did log on to it and uh we'll be doing another one of these somewhere along the way and we'll try to come up with some more ideas to kind of give back as much as uh, rich and i can so If you can, please throw some money in the pot. You can go to the websites www.motopodcast.com. There's PayPal, Patreon links there. And, uh, you know, hopefully, maybe you can come join in and be in that next next meeting. Big fun.
0: It was great, as you say, Jim, to see some places on screen, people whose names you read out on the show from time to time. So, Yeah, just good to put some faces to names. And as you say, a super interesting conversation with a very wide range of views and topics that we discussed. Obviously, it wasn't recorded. It wasn't something that we planned to put out as a show. Although I don't think we would rule doing it out in the future, potentially, if people were comfortable with that. We'd have to think about how that would be structured and delivered. So, yeah, I mean slightly brazen we've got plans and hopes for the show to try and increase the listenership and you know but that all takes some funds so if this is a way to encourage some of the listeners to become more regular contributors you know we would like to give back by giving people the chance to come on have a chat with us and as i say perhaps we could even do a live stream or something in the future so there are options for us to sort of take the show forward yep i think we should cover a little bit of news don't you think yeah not too much the first one I
1: like is that you know Petrucci rode at the car and he called out Rossi and he told Rossi that he needs to come and he needs to race and Danilo said, "Hey, you drive the car, I'll navigate." So, Valentino, if you're listening, please do that because I want to see it. I think that'd be fantastic. The Dakar does have a strong following. I think it I think has kind of ebbed and flowed as people have sort of come and gone with it. There was that real big buildup of it, I would say, in – I'll call it the late part of the 90s as they you know traveled across Africa and different things. Then there was – I don't remember when, but they could not race in Africa due to terrorism, and they decided mm-hmm. to go to South America. And that first South American event, I think there wasn't as much interest as there usually was, but it then gained – Because people really started to think, wow, the Atacama Desert's really kind of interesting. And they did the whole thing in Peru, which is a bunch of dunes and sand and things like that. And people, I thought it was really great in South America. I loved it. And now they've moved it to Saudi Arabia and they just simply stay there, which has been fascinating. I think Saudi Arabia is a desert. It's obviously not if you follow the Dakar. But I do think bringing Rossi in would just give it a whole other level of What's that word? Uh, kudos, not exi- I think, is the word. Well, no, no, I wasn't thinking kudos. Where people want to do want to cover it, there's a where you bring media in. I can't think of the word. I Yeah, well, it, it.
0: it would certainly be a, a sensational sprinkling of the, the Rossi gold dust, I suppose. Let's put it that way. And and Rossi is very accomplished in a rally car when he's driving it. I mean, he's he's taken part in quite a few of the I think Monza rallies, which are quite serious rally events in in Italy. So he has certainly has some form there uh, and it would be a quite a coup for Dakar if they could ever get Rossi on board. I mean, maybe some, one of the organizers from Dakar, maybe he's had a quiet word in Petruch's ear and said, Hey, could you uh, call him out and get him involved? Maybe he has.
1: I don't think so. I think that's just Danilo being Danilo, to be honest with you. Probably, I mean, he probably was having yeah. a great time. I think he was having fun. And I think he just wants Rossi to come have some fun with him too. Why not? Yeah. Mm. The next thing in the news Remy Gardner has broke his wrist and it has required surgery. Of course, he went to see Dr. Muir And, of course, he was on his motocross bike when he did it. And we're roughly two weeks away from Sepang. So, fingers crossed that Remy will have recovered well enough in those two weeks to be able to actually ride and participate. I don't know if they pinned it because I didn't see that. I just, I just read that it, he required surgery. I'm assuming there's a pin or something in there. there. Two
0: screws as well. Two screws, just, okay. Just what I read. So yeah, it's a tricky one, this, isn't it? Because I guess the guys tend to say that motocross is the most effective physical form of training and learning into or keeping yourself sharp with the slip, I suppose you're undergoing on a motocross bike. But, you know, the riders, they do injure themselves so frequently, don't they? This is the problem. And it's unfortunate timing let's say just two weeks before the first test but i think there's a reasonable amount of confidence that it wasn't a serious injury and dr nears has done his magic and a couple of screws and a couple of weeks probably he'll be semi-fit to ride but obviously it's a setback Mm, i think it's probably two weeks two screws and
1: some whole bunch of ice and ibuprofen in sapang to yeah. uh, keep the swelling and inflammation down. I just hope that he, by testing that he does not injure it worse and make it so that he has a longer duration of healing. I just don't want to see Remy go through the year and always have this problem with his wrist when I think he has potential to potentially
0: be rookie of the year. And I'm fairly certain that I read that it was his right wrist that he'd injured. Yes. So I mean... Jim, if you're going to go left or right, which is the least terrible. I would rather break my left from the fact that you're you're really only doing,
1: well, I guess you're doing two things with your left. You're holding on to the handlebar and you're working the clutch. If you have your right, you're trying to hold on. You're trying to work the throttle and be delicate with it and also work the brakes. You know, just being on a street bike, you know that there's an immense amount of pressure that goes through your wrist and your forearms. When you're trying to brake or just simply trying to move left to right across the motorcycle. Now, think about that in a racing form. It's probably, at least at the level I was, probably triple the force of what you would see in the street, and maybe triple what a track day guy may do, right? And then, to be on carbons and be Remy and those guys and be the latest of the late braking, it's probably another triple beyond that. So they're close to three, three and a half G's now in stopping power on a MotoGP bike. That's a lot of pressure and force going through there. So fingers crossed that in those two weeks, Remy has recovered enough that he's not going to harm himself further. Well, moving on in the news. We've, this one I think we all know or have been around. It's been tweeted out, and if you've been following Marquez's Instagram, you know that he went through a test session on the street version of the RC213 at Porto Mayo. He did 65 laps over the day, said he had absolutely no problem with his vision. Everything was fine. He felt good on the bike. He's exuberant. He has that smile back again that you really haven't seen on his face in a long time. And he's gonna, got two weeks, he's he's gonna work harder on his fitness and his conditioning, which he hasn't really been able to do, because it seems as though he was fairly, I don't wanna say bedridden, but he was definitely physical activity was restricted significantly. So he's starting off on the back foot, but I think any input that Mark can put on to that new bike to help the direction that they're going with it is good, I don't know. What do you think? Is it going to be? He's not going to be setting the world on fire, but it's it's got to be helpful.
0: It's a little bit hard to say, really, isn't it? I mean, is he going to want to take the bike in a direction that perhaps suits him, but may not suit other riders? That's potentially a bit of a risk, I suppose, for Honda, depending on what their motives are with the brand new bike. But you'd have to say, you know, given his level, even if he's still running slightly injured, you know, the input's going to be invaluable, isn't it? So. I think it will be all prayers answered from Honda's point of view, just to have him there.
1: Yeah, from a morale boost, I would think too. Just yeah. that he's there and getting ready to go. And MotoGP needs Marc Marquez to be healthy and be on a motorcycle. I mean, he's not even 29 years old yet, but he is now, without a doubt, the elder statesman of the class. Yes. Divizioso is there, but Divizioso is not going to be on the same level or close to the same level as what Mir and Quattraro are on. And, you know, Benyaya, Miller, those guys, Martin. It's that generational changing of the guard that's coming. And sort of Mark is the last man standing, I guess. And these other guys need to prove their worth against the reigning king if they are worthy to hold the throne and move forward in MotoGP. I think most of us want to see that happen. We we witnessed it with Rossi, and you can say what you want. Rossi could do what he wanted to do. Did Rossi stay at the dance too long? Maybe. That's his decision. I'm not going to double-guess it because maybe Rossi felt he owed something to the sport. Maybe he just flat-out just enjoyed it. Who knows? But Marquez, I think you would agree with me, Rich, has been a lot more beat up physically than Rossi was in his career. I don't see Mark being able to go into his forties like Rossi has. No. So the time is now for those guys to step up and max themselves against the known
0: best rider in the world. And I want to see it. Yeah. hundred percent agree with everything you just said. And it would be a, a real shot to Dorner and MotoGP to lose Marquez and Rossi at the same time, you know, if Mark hadn't been able to come back through injury or at least not straight away anyway. So I guess from a marketing and a sponsorship and, you know, just a pure coverage standpoint, they've kind of dodged the bullet with that one. You know, and Mark is, as you say, he is kind of one of the senior guys now. I mean, he's got so many championships. You know, he is the benchmark still. And he proved last year that even coming back from that serious injury, he still won two races. So the guy's not done yet. I mean, I totally agree with you. It's it's inconceivable that he'll race on for another 10 plus years. Mark won three races. He won at
1: Saxon Ring. He won at Coda. Uh, and then he won sort of by default when benyaya
0: and Miller crashed at oh, Misano. Misano, sorry. Yeah. Uh, I my no, it's to okay. your stats. Yes, three wins for Mark. Well, even more proving my point then. So, <laughs> you know, he is the benchmark still. Uh, benchmark, that was... Uh, yeah, no, that's a good way to put it. Benchmark is definitely pun. there. Yeah. <laughs> and... Yeah, the championship just needs him. And he's got a massive fan base, so they will want to see him back. So it's all good as far as I'm concerned. But we were worried that this was going to be a potentially a long-term layoff again. So if that's been averted, I think that's uh, that's really great news for everybody. I will agree with you. Last thing on the news has
1: to pertain with Coda. We all know that when the, we were at the circuit last year in October that the riders almost boycotted the race due to all the bumps that were in the track and they demanded that Kodo would repave from turn 2 all the way through turn 10. I just actually got this as an email update Uh, literally moments before we decided to go put this on the show. So I'll read to you what CODA actually said. And it says, for the past few weeks, the track has undergone a large-scale resurfacing initiative. CODA worked with consultants to review the asphalt designs and diagnose the parts of the track in need of resurfacing. Ground penetration radar and laser mapping equipment and software was used to map the track and identify the different repairs needed. From there, CODA worked to repave turns 2 through 10, also 12 through 16, And built a concrete pad to reinforce the areas in turn two and turn ten. And additionally, they worked with contractors to ensure that the new asphalt and concrete foundations were even and flush, creating an ideal track for upcoming races and events. So it sounds that they actually did a lot more. I I don't know if that's a lot more. But they did more than what was asked of them. Because they also did from tw- turn 12 to 16. So that's sort of through the area there where it's really tight and twisty. They also put in this concrete pad. So what I'm guessing is that they're sensing from this radar penetration thing that they're seeing turn two basically wanting to slide down the mountain, if you will, mm. yeah. towards the pit area. And I guess this big concrete pad they've put in there is a way or as a thought to sort of shore up the moving ground that tends to cause all of these bumps. And if that's gonna work, I'm all for it. You know, do that. And all these different places. So I'm encouraged that they've at least taken what was said, did the work, and then went at least a little bit beyond what everybody asked for was the bare minimum. I was really afraid that they were just going to be like, here's the minimum. This is what you guys said. Here it is. So they actually you know, went at it and hopefully got decent consultation from guys who work with paving all the time and have some experience paving racetracks and things like that. Sort of like Silverstone. And I, I don't think it's it's not mentioned who they worked with. It could be. We might find out at some point. But they at least are doing, in my mind, everything that you want to do to extend your contract to keep at least one GP in the United States. Which is desperately what I want is to have at least one GP for a considerable amount of time. Because we only have this year and next year are guaranteed at the track because the first race was in 2013 and it was a 10-year deal to have racing there so
0: not much to add to that from my side but I, I think it was made fairly clear to the track wasn't it that they had to do something it couldn't be left the way that it was so it's good to see that they've done something obviously it's a very upbeat press release as you would expect but i mean i can't remember who said it but i certainly recall One of the commentators or pundits saying that there's a kind of a fundamental problem with the ground conditions at Kota. It kind of moves around a lot. So, as you say, Jim, I guess putting these concrete pads in is uh, envisaged to be some sort of a ground stabilization mechanism, and hopefully that will work. So, fingers crossed, because I mean, Kota is a a great track. It's great. And then, as you say, I mean, MotoGP has to have at least one race in the States. This is not
1: going to quell the idea of people saying that the race in America should be at like Road America. A lot of people want it to be in Elkhart Lake in Wisconsin, and I cannot argue with the fact that that track is an amazing track. I've raced it. I've been around it. It's phenomenal. The problem is the infrastructure there. There, there isn't the hotels and everything else that the people from Europe are going to want to be there, and it isn't scenic California where mm. you can kind of get by with having the Moto 3 and Moto 2 guys in a tent, and they're not really going to complain because you can go to Cannery Row and have all the things that are there that you can see and do in uh, California. But this is at least a step in the right direction. It's promising, but you're right. The land and the soil there does move every which way. And it's just a known thing that's I think it's clay on top of shale that causes it to move. I believe I'm not a geologist, but I kind of remember reading that somewhere. And I remember that that was one of the things that they tried to do was they dug 15 feet down and put gravel and rock to stabilize the track where where the track was going to run. And it sounds like it's worse than what they anticipated or their idea didn't work to solve that problem initially. So they're looking at other options and it's I'm one of these nerd engineers. I watch all these other shows about how people build skyscrapers and buildings, and they they build some of the tallest skyscrapers in the world are built on sand foundations in Dubai. And the way they do it is they run hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of steel rods into the sand to create friction, to stabilize it. I'm wondering if maybe they got to start running a bunch of, you know, drive a bunch of piles there to fix it. I don't know. Or just
0: take the race to Barber International. That'll work for me. (laughs) we've been call- we've got to be careful we've been called out on this before by saying there's not enough stuff around there's no infrastructure there's nowhere to stay so we've got to be careful hey everybody I mean we even as a Brit I acknowledge that America's a, a great big place and so it's very difficult to have a track and all of the sort of the facilities and the infrastructure that you'd want I guess that's Austin's great strength you know it is a city Uh, Unfortunately, I've never been to Austin, but it's on the bucket list, as is COTA, in fact. So let's just hope it works, because it's a great track. It's a great event. I think it's always been recognized as one of the best run events. And certainly from everything I've ever read or heard, everybody loves Austin as a place to base themselves at for that week or so of the event. So yeah, fingers crossed. Yep, fingers
1: crossed. So let's just get into what we're actually here for. And that's what we would do if we ran
0: MotoGP. This was a little idea we had, again, just as a little kind of left field chat whilst we're on the off-season part of the year. So, yeah, it's kind of MotoGP tinged, I suppose. But some of the things that I've jotted down here do cross different race series, different categories, because they're more just general principles, really. So, we, yeah, we set ourselves a challenge, Jim and I. And we've snuck in, or I have at least, snuck in one or two of the things that we chatted about on the Zoom call with some of the listeners at the weekend. But what three things, top three things, would we change If we could. Now, that could be a technical thing. It could be a sporting regulation, marketing. It could be anything. So, Jim, you far away with your first or one of your first picks. So mine is in Moto3. It is for Moto3.
1: My idea is that we eliminate qualifying for Moto3 and we run sprint races. Now, this came from a listener who said that this is a way to do it. And you would get rid of all the people being on the racing line looking for a toe, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I just thought I would tweak the idea as to how it would actually work in my mind. So the way I see it, third practice session on that Saturday morning, your best lap would determine where you would start on a somewhere between eight and 10 lap sprint race. The twist I have is twofold. One, after that third qualifying session, everyone goes to uh, let's I think there's like 30 Moto3 bikes, something close to that. Mm-hmm. So there would be 30 balls in a hat, and by based on who was the slowest man first to pick, there would be inside of that hat, there would be balls labeled either a 1 or a 2. And there would be 15 number ones, 15 number twos. A one puts you in the first qualifying race. A two would put you in the second qualifying race. So randomly people are going to be in this race in an order that no one would potentially know. So it isn't like the top 10 guys go to the first one or the rest go to a second qualifying session. So that randomizes it, puts it into a different field. Then you line up based on your qualifying time from the third practice session. So whoever was fastest would be on pole in whichever race that they were in. And you would go through. You would run the first 10-lap race, I would run it in the normal position of qualifying for Moto3. Then you would run the GP, and then you would come back for Moto2 qualifying. Then you'd have the last race of the day would be this Moto3. So people are incentivized to stay to see Moto2, which helps them a little bit as well. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. you run. Then what I would do is I would take from there whoever wins the first race and is has does it in the fastest time has pole position to start in the main event on Sunday. Then the fir- then the winner of the second heat or the slower of the two heats would be in second place. That would you would do do that alternating back and forth for the first 15 grid slots. Once you've got to those 15 grid slots, there would be a gap placed on the starting grid that would be like essentially two rows of motorcycles would be missing. So go back to yours, then fill out the rest of the 15 riders based on that. Now everybody would go at the same time when it's green, but having that gap between gives you a space that they'd have to try to make up. So we sort of break up the pack
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and it also sort of gets it to where there's a bit of randomism. So if you crashed in that race in your last, you would be in that other group. So potentially if you know one of the fast guys call it gulvera or somebody were to crash or have a bike problem they would be in that last row and they'd have to fight their way through but could they then overcome the gap i just think it would add a little not that there isn't enough drama in moto three already <laughs> well sometimes but, it's a
0: bit too much but <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> right but it, tend, it it would i think it would try to break things up a little bit with it so that's my idea for for moto three
0: I think that's fantastic. I I bet that one might generate some feedback from the listeners. Hopefully it will. You've clearly thought that one through. I'm feeling a bit pressurised now with with the lack of of effort I might have put in. But the the other thing that's great about your suggestion there, Jim, as well, is that would be for anybody that was guilty of, infringements of one sort or another through the practice sessions that would be a penalty with some teeth or sharper teeth at least I mean so short of making people start from the pit lane and we we know that that can sometimes <laughs> work out okay right. but being able to push somebody back in f- further into the you know the back of the grid with that gap like kind of like a fire break as well to help to sort of split the group up a little bit as well so that we don't get these huge slipstreaming dangerous kind of scenarios that we've seen a little bit too frequently that would also work pretty nicely in that regard as well so i think that's a a, a great idea and then i would you know Everybody who, who, you know,
1: you're running another event, so everybody gets another set of tires. Either Dorner themselves covers the cost for a set of slicks for everybody or something to that effect. Or you limit the number of slicks they could run in practice so they have a set of slicks for it. So I know there's going to be that as an issue. So hopefully that part works its way out. Or that would work itself out in that way,
0: I guess I should say. I think. I mean, the good thing. Talking about the way you have that running on a Saturday with the second sprint race being the last event of the day, let's say, would be great because certainly at places like Silverstone each year when I go, you tend to get this mass exodus after the big race. And so if you you know you spread the day out a little bit more, just it helps with, I know it's a bit of a boring thing to say, but if it helps traffic management and just flow of people coming and going, I think that would just be a sort of a practically good thing to do as well. I think it incentivizes people to come on a
1: Saturday. Hey, there's actually a race. Yeah. And there's two of them. If you're there longer, odds are you're going to be at the concessions, have another round of the concessions. Yeah. It's a little more money for the tracks. It's a little more money, hopefully for everybody. And it works out in the Moto3 guys get a little more exposure. You get to see them work in a different way. The, the cream is still going to be at the top. This is just some other way for people to take another look at things and do something of that nature.
0: Well no absolutely not and, and one of the things that we've spoken about on the show in the past talking about some of the problems that we've seen is that although the age limit thing is going to start to be implemented this year these are still relatively well not relative that these are still very young riders so the more racing they get to do I think the better probably for them in terms of experience and the less of the practice and qualifying type sessions I think that's also good because it just reduces all this dawdling around on the line nonsense I mean if you're in a race you've got to go. So I think it's a a really good one, Jim. I'm a bit annoyed I didn't have that one as one of my own. But anyway. What did you have? uh, I'm going to go with my contentious one. And I have hinted at this on the show before. So again, this is kind of aimed at Moto3, but not necessarily exclusively at Moto3. But I feel quite strongly that talking about rider behaviour and having penalties that actually mean something as a way of this idea of a nudge are you familiar with the nudge principle which is that you have to incentivize people to behave in a certain way and you can do that in positive and negative ways of course but I'm quite strongly in favour of not allowing teams to run reserve riders when their main rider has been banned for behaviour infringement or track infringement of some description and the reason I think that is because the team are part of the management of the rider's mind and their behaviour and their progression and their education and it lets the team off in terms of scoring and team and, and constructor points if they can nominate a reserve rider or a replacement rider in that scenario. Now if the rider is injured that's different, it's perfectly right and proper that they can put a substitute rider on the bike but If you want teams to have real skin in the game in terms of trying to manage these young boys and girls as they're coming through, and you want to promote good behaviour, both whether it's not kicking paddock stands at people when you just think you've just lost the race, if if Ivan Gravara, and you don't want people doing really crazy, dangerous things on the track, and we've seen plenty of that. We don't need to call out individual occasions on that. Then the team have to be part of that, really ingrained in the process of managing their riders, and therefore the team also have to have a penalty if the rider gets a penalty for that kind of infringement. Hmm. Interesting
1: that it could work. I would be for it. Cause it's, it's kind of like the idea that there's a reserve driver in formula one. Oh boy. There's another formula one reference. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the only thing that I'm is cost because that person is going to be traveling with the team. So it's another person on the list. And it's some of, some of these moto three team, moto two teams are, Thin. If you ever see some of the smaller operations, it's 10 people-ish <laughs> that mm-hmm. you travel the world, uh, and if you add another one onto it, that adds up quickly as far as monetary means and whatnot. So that would be my only concern would be that off the top of my head. Otherwise, I can't see a problem with it because it's a win by the the bike, the sponsor, everything is still there and whatnot i I guess you could have a issue comes up to like well if they were to crash in qualifying this guy hasn't been on that bike he doesn't have you you'd have morning warm-up i guess to dial him in a little bit yeah i could see that i don't know i it's interesting thought it's it's a good one i think that'll generate
0: some yeah i mean back as well I wanted to have a contentious one in there, and it is a bit of an out-there thing. Again, just to generate some discussion if, if people want to write in and say whether they agree or or vehemently disagree, that's fine. I mean, that's the whole point of having this little discussion. But I still fundamentally think that the team has to suffer as well as the rider, because they are part of the the whole operation. And let's be honest, these riders don't get banned at the drop of a hat it takes quite a lot of consistently bad behavior to cop a punishment like that and last season I think the only person that actually got one was uh, Dennis Onchi, wasn't it right <sighs> we all talked about that one I think yeah just need, we know why he got it and but, the reasons why so <laughs> but that's kind of my point in a way is that was a part of a pattern of behavior and the Onshu clearly suffered from it because he was banned from the races but the team were able to sub him so I think teams have to get more involved in managing this problem so yeah. your number two
1: my yeah. number two my number two is in moto two i have opined on this one on this show over and over again i'm putting a flipping starter motor on the friggin moto two bike. sorry i am putting one on there only from the standpoint of when we've talked about this and i will use the example from coda this year when remy slid off a very low speed crash nothing hurt her on the bike nothing hurt on remy there was no reason he couldn't get back up and continue on except for he couldn't start the bike now if he had an electric starter, he could have started the bike, he could have got back on the track, and then people would have had something to watch in what was at that point a relatively dull race, because you're waiting to see how far is Remy going to go up the pack after his error. What's it, how far can he make it back up the mountain? Where is he going to climb to? And yeah. that is, if he had, maybe that Moto2 title doesn't go down to the wire at Valencia, Maybe it's solved at Port Mayo. But then again, you could say the same thing that it could have also went down to the wire because when uh, Fernandez fell off at Saxon Ring, that was a low speed thing. And he could not make the bike start again there either. And Remy went on to win that one. How far could he have gotten back up through? I would love to have seen it. Would love to have watched that. And maybe I only think it because I think it's the right thing to do. But also is like, well, you know, we really only had those two guys at the front who just simply dominated the entire season. So you'd want to see those two fight it out to the absolute bitter end. But it isn't that much weight. It's a spec, essentially a a spec chassis and engine class now. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, there's the odd speed up and but there's one other one. And I, oh, it's Bossa yes. Boss Scora. Boss yeah, there's Studio. the NTS. Yeah. It's actually Speed Up is now a Bossa Scora. And everybody's got the same Triumph engine. And it's they, you know, I think all those motors go back to Triumph and then they're redistributed out again uh, at the next race. So you're not hurting anything by putting one on there.
0: You no. know, I
1: get it in Moto3. It's a KTM. It's a Honda. Trying to mandate a starter there is not really going to be that big of a deal. It's not that hard to start a Moto3 bike afterwards. So that's my number two
0: again 100% on the same page as you with that one and if there's a class crying out to not have front runners dropping out it's Moto2 because it is not always and there were some actually markedly quite good races last season but as a general rule, if you were going to miss one of the three races, you would always nominate the Moto2 race. So, you know, the Remy Gardner example, as you say, that would have been brilliant for him to have got back on the bike and fought his way back through and everybody, whether you were trackside as you were, or sat at home counting the laps down as I was, it would have been great to have had Gardner back in the race trying to get back up through the pack, as you said. So it's a change that doesn't negatively affect everybody because it would be the same for everybody. And as you say, it's effectively a spec championship. So just add a bit more to the spec. Stick a damn starter motor on there. Simple.
1: And also, another point, and this is because I was trackside at Koda, Nakagami had fallen off on the Moto uh, I mean GP race, sorry. Mm-hmm. And after he got back up, got started again, he was way behind everybody. But every time he came past us, everybody cheered for him. Yeah. So everybody was involved and was watching what happened. And I'm thinking if we were doing it for, a, I hate to say this, not necessarily a big name Moto GP guy. I mean, people would have done it for Remy or anybody else in Moto 2. I think they would have done it for anybody in Moto 3. Yeah. It's just our human nature. You want to see someone succeed. And in that instance, they're not succeeding. And it's not. Yes, they crashed. It's their fault. But you're going, jeez pizza they just had a starter. They could just get right back in again.
0: Yeah, and everybody and, loves a try, don't they? And so yeah. part of sport is watching somebody overcome adversity. So, again, from an entertainment value point of view, I think the sport's missing a trick with such an easy solution that you've just described that it breaks my heart that they just haven't already thought of it for themselves. So hopefully somebody's listening, and this will happen. <laughs> what do you got, Rich, for that second OK, one? my next one, and again it's a rant i've been on numerous times and i promise this will be the last time i mention it unless i see and have to call out a particularly bad incident of it which will probably happen at the first race but that is my distaste disgust hatred of cutting away from live race action or qualifying action to dawdle looking at somebody in the pits or to have an admittedly artistically very beautiful in many cases super slow-mo of a bike when there's action going on on the track, and invariably, I don't know what the percentage would be, but Sod's Law always coming to the, <laughs> coming into play, more often than not, whilst they're navel-gazing at Lynn Jarvis, pouting at the screen for 20 seconds, something happens on the track, and what all that happens is you're looking at him, or whoever it might be in the pit lane, and you can hear a scrape noise, or you know there's a pass coming, because they just cut away from a decent piece of race action, or whatever it is. So, Dawna, please, please... I don't know if they have different directors at different events, if national broadcasters get involved. I'm sure that's not the case with Dorna, but there must be some consistency in this. And whilst there's live on track action, please just concentrate on that. Or as I forget who it was that said it, I think it might have been Alan, perhaps uh, on the Zoom call at the weekend. Stick a little thumbnail up in the corner of the screen if you want to look at something of passing or moderate interest that might be happening in the pits. Stick a little thumbnail up in the top right of the screen, but don't cut away from the main action, please, because that's why we're all watching. Agreed.
1: Yeah, I think they should even do that with some of the racing action, because there's sometimes there's something really good going on at the front, but there's also something going on mid-pack. know. Sometimes that six, seven, eight, nine battle is just as good as the two, three, four battle and whatever pick your class. So you could stay on the main screen, but you throw a box in box or picture in picture up. Here's, you know, and just put a little note battle for for eighth. Yeah. Oh, cool. Oh, That's going pretty wild over there. I don't need the guys to commentate on it. I just want to see what's happening. That's part of the magic of TV, right? You want to be able to, the TV is supposed to show you the things that you can't see because you, if you're at the track, you can't see all of the track. So why not give us everything and more through the magic of television?
0: Yeah. And you yourself said on the, the subscriber Zoom call at the weekend, there were several instances last season, particularly anything involving Pedro Acosta, where he was having one of those bad races. Think of Mizano, think of Silverstone, where he was battling his way through from, 12th to 16th in some cases and pulled off a miraculous last couple of laps and got himself into the top 10 and we didn't see it and it wasn't well i'm I'm assuming it was captured but you know again that really goes to dawn to say look you've got all this great racing going on up and down the pack make the most of it make hey while the sun's shining guys you know so denying us seeing that is a problem and as you say jim they could very easily put some of those as thumbnails in as well i know with some of the apps that Dawn run now, you can flick around different feeds. But again, during the race, you just want to be concentrating on the main action, but have the ability to see some of the other stuff that's going on. I get that that's, in practice, probably quite difficult to do. But my main grumble here and the change that I'm asking to see is, don't get away from the main action completely to look at something that I I can't believe that there are many fans and I'm not on my own because it occurred to me that I'd had an email on the 12th of December from Steve Ryling, I think is the pronunciation where he was very much on the same page as I'd had a rant in that week's show about this and he was saying the same thing why do we need to be looking at a girlfriend of a rider or the technician or whoever during live race action Fine to do it during the, the lulls between races or between qualifying sessions or whatever. No problem. Not during the race, please, Donna. So please sort that one out for us.
1: You know, this is the one thing that I think where Formula One has done something better than MotoGP has. They've gotten into the talking on the pit wall, talking to Christian Horner or Otmar or Safnauer or Zach Brown. And they've started to take it and put that as a thumbnail in the corner of the screen And that conversation is going on, but the action on the track is still up at the forefront. Front and center. Yeah, Front and center. I got commentary. I can hear what is being said from the pit wall, but I'm seeing the action on the track. And I 100% agree with you. I want to see that action. But there is some things that need to be done. I think it would be great – to throw that thumbnail in the corner and see Simon Crafar discussing something or if somebody's bike has come in, th- a, a shot of the bike and the crew trying to maybe fix or repair what may be wrong or when bike changes happen in rain races for moto gp that you know simon gets a corner he's wherever he is he can talk us through what's happening right there because he's there and then the other guys can kind of lay back and put it all back together again when we get out of that situation so we can oh. see these different things so you kind of know that that's one of the hardest things i think for people to understand and really it's that it's the austrian rain race with three laps to go that made it difficult to understand why what, what was going on because there wasn't enough cameras giving you all the picture to see Because you, you're suddenly like, well, Bender hasn't pitted, but you didn't know because there wasn't a camera that you threw into the corner box that you could have witnessed Bender try to keep that yeah. bike up, which would have been dramatic in itself. But then you could focus on the pack that's trying to close them down that whole thing could have easily been way more dramatic impressive gripping because you were seeing the two diametrically opposed things one a guy staying on cold slicks in a downpour and here's these guys hauling the mail on
0: hot rains (laughs) that would have been great i mean that scenario was an embarrassment of riches what to show wasn't it really and that's I mean daughter this is a nice problem to have what gets me is in that kind of a situation if they cut to a super slow-mo showing a butterfly flapping its wings past Jorge Martin it all looks very impressive and the technology is fantastic and the level of detail is is sublime I'm perfectly happy to see that just not whilst there's live stuff going on in a race or a qualifying session or, or a practice session for that matter because we want to see what's going on on the track so that's my number two.
1: Okay, number three for me is in MotoGP, and I've been on this one before, but I want to eliminate, as a technical regulation, the shape-shifty bikes, reduce the traction control down. I want the best rider on the best bike, and I want to see how they ride that bike differently than anybody else. Or how they ride differently or how Marquez rides differently than Quattro rides than how Ben Yaya rides than how. And I want Simon Crayfar to break that down and tell me what's different about it and why. I mean, I have my opinions of, of why. I don't like the shape-shifty bikes. Ever since Jack Miller had that time at Silverstone where the whole uh, shot device wouldn't release and he rode around – As he said, quote, on a chopper for a couple of laps until we could break hard enough to get it to come back. Mm. I am anti-shape-shifty bike. I'm anti-wings on the bike as well. Now, this is one of the cool things about our subscriber roundtable. I have been that way my entire time. And Alan said, but hey... You are at a top-level prototype racing series. The goal of that motorcycle is to go around the track as fast as it possibly can go. And if that means a shape-shifty bike, aerodynamics, and all these other things, then I'm all for it. And I'm like, that is a that was amazing to me because I was like, I did not think of it from that direction. Mm. Still doesn't mean I don't want to change it. I'm not necessarily changing my opinion of what I want to do, but I loved his opinion. I loved how he said that because I didn't think of it that way. It's one of the coolest parts of the, of the whole conversation we had in the two hours. And But I also think of it maybe because I've done this and I know how hard it is to go fast on it. I appreciate more how gifted Marquez is, how gifted Cuauhtararo is, how gifted Benaya are to do what they do. But then again, I also go back and I look at Formula One and go, if I really want to see fantastic engineering and damn near RC slot car stuff, I'll watch a Formula One car because – I don't think the driver is as fundamental to success as the car is. And, yep. You know, people have got their opinions of where it sits. I like the 80-20. It's 80% car and 20% driver. A a, a good car can win with a great driver, but a great car can win with a good driver. And I think yep. MotoGP, the bikes are so even, so competitive to what they have that I want to see more of more delineation that not the right way I want to say this. Let me back up a second. I don't want to hear Mir talking about how I don't have a shape-shifty bike and I got to have a shape-shifty bike to be on the first two rows of the grid so I don't get blocked by the Ducatis. That's racing with one arm tied behind your back. And you're talking about things that are probably extremely expensive to engineer, design, put on the motorcycle and make function properly. Kudos to Ducati and Digitalina for thinking outside the box and doing all this crazy cool stuff that when you see it, it in testing and I just get all googly over it, you know, it's like engineering porn for me. It's like, whoa, that was such a cool idea. And it's done to the nth degree in beautiful carbon fiber and anodized aluminum, and it's just pretty and beautiful. And then I'm like, but these other people can't afford to get to this level. So you're not on a level playing field. So my reasoning, just to level the playing field, put a little bit more back into the hands of the rider to ride the motorcycle. And if you take away like the traction controls, then you have to build a motorcycle that has a generous torque curve that a rider can use and that's what
0: I want to see. It's rocking a hard place, isn't it? And as you say, this this did generate a a really good, interesting, very good natured, uh, everybody giving their opinion, which is precisely what we wanted. I mean, I made the point that, to use the term I used on Saturday, I was lamenting the fact that, to all intents and purposes, we're kind of almost towards a spec engine in MotoGP in the sense that it is mandated as a four-cylinder. Now, I know that people have different variations on the theme and so on, but I was doing the rose-tinted glasses mistake, thinking back to when MotoGP first went four-stroke, and you had the the three-cylinder Aprilia Cube, you had the V5 Honda and um, Robert's bike, Mm -hmm. you had the kind of the conventional inline four across the frame Kawasaki and uh, Yamaha initially, then they went with the cross-plane crank and so on. So there was this great, and and obviously the Desmo Ducati was the other sort of, and the the noise these things made, and you could really tell which bike was coming at you and going past you, just purely on, engine though i mean the, the rcv that v5 was so distinctive sounding as was the cube in particular i mean that thing just absolutely howled in the first couple of seasons that they ran that bike so i was kind of really liked that and so alan fleming was making the point that really this should be a pure prototype class but if you're going to let that particular genie out of the bottle then anything goes because as you said jim the game is to go around the track as fast as you can by any means you can do it Obviously, the governing body will have to step in from time to time, as they did with the 990 formula, which was considered to be getting too fast. And then they replaced it with something that was more dangerous, which, you know, in retrospect, was a mistake. But yeah, so you've got to be careful what you wish for, I suppose. Law of unintended consequences, as I get to say in every single show. I'm sure people are getting fed up with it now. But it is a prototype class of racing. But I'm also, I'm with you, Jimmy, you know, I don't like the shapeshifter just as a thing i I just think it, it doesn't look nice i mean it squats the bikes down they look horrible i know aesthetically it just looks all wrong to me but it does make the bikes faster so there's your kind of your argument for the anything goes kind of thing i mean I still don't really quite understand, going at a slight tangent, but with the whole wings thing, they were sort of banned a few years ago, and yet all these bikes still have wings. It's obviously to do with the regs of exactly how the wing or aero device can be incorporated into the fairing, I guess. But a few years ago, we had all these things sort of sprouting out the sides, kind of almost bolted on to the fairings, didn't we? And, and those were kind of considered to be dangerous, and so they banned them. And yet we still see all these weird and wonderful shapes now. So obviously within the rules, I just don't really quite understand how those rules work but again that's part of the game of this class of racing isn't it and if we want to go down the spec route increasingly then i suppose you've got world superbike and you know the various proddy based superbike as they generally get called around the world championships to go and watch so i don't know it's an intractable problem this one and i don't think there's quite an answer to it but I would kind of like to see traction control go, and I would certainly like to see the whole shot and the shapeshifter go. Because if it went, then it's the same for everybody, and we're back to a more even playing field again. Yeah, and then, you know,
1: realize Formula One took traction control away, and everybody thought, oh, we're going to see these cars slide and what. No, because the aero on the car prevents that from happening. You really don't know that they don't have traction control. I think the same thing would happen in MotoGP. You would start to build a motor that's more user-friendly, which means you would be more user-friendly for a street rider it would allow you to witness what they do without the electricity covering it up now granted the traction control that's on there now is not like it was with the 800s and literally you just could whack the thing open wide and you could watch guys get to the apex it went full on and the bike just figured out how to get itself out of that corner which Mm. we got away from fine all about that so what is your third if i was running moto you know
0: just before i go into number three i I was gonna say there is a direct comparison on this traction control issue and that's British superbikes, which mm. decided to take traction control away some seasons ago. And again, there was a, a bit of a clamour at the time, well this is going to be dangerous, it's going to be seeing lots of high sides and so on. But you know, you have to remember that these are highly skilled and for the most part highly intelligent people riding them. And so they adjust their styles and their behaviors accordingly. So I don't think you, we see any more crashes in BSB now than we did when they did have traction control. So I'm not quite sure that that argument follows. And I think it would, be, it would allow more of the cream to rise to the top. Oh, let me ask you one question about that. Is there the same or
1: slightly less crashes for dry races? But what about rain races? Were there more crashes with the rain because traction control wasn't there to help them out of it? I hate to put you on the spot like that, but that's the first Mm. thing that went through my mind was, is there, could you break that that down into dry race crash versus wet race crash, traction control, non-trash control?
0: I'll tell you what, I'm not quite sure I can answer that just off the top of my head sort of thing. I think we'd need to go away and have a little check. And what I might do, given that BSB is going to be starting to ramp up again soon, that's definitely something I'm going to ask one of the kind of team personnel. Good question part of chatting you know just to get a a more inside view on that my sense is that there are not more crashes now without traction control in the wet because i think people are naturally more cautious that's just my sense of it but i'd need to go back and look back through some races i guess perhaps the season where they still did have full traction control and then the following season where they didn't to see and there are usually a good smattering of rain (laughs) rain affected races in the uk as you can well imagine so it's not hard to find a few examples of that um I mentioned when we were talking, or when I was talking about the the final round of, of BSB at Brands, I stood up at Druid's turn, which is a fairly tight hairpin at Brands hat. And I was watching the stock 1000 race and they do run full electronics, all sorts of different electronic gizmos on there. And it was really quite startling as you say, Jim, a bit like the old 800 days with the with the MotoGP bikes, you know, cracking the throttle wide open at the apex, and you can just hear the cylinders cutting and that sort of drumming noise that you get where the power's cut. So it, it's really quite marked the difference between bikes with and without between BSB and the stock thousand category. So yeah, it would be a really interesting experiment in MotoGP if they did curtail the amount of traction control or get rid of it altogether. We'll see. Now, my number three is is a little bit of a toss up because I've got a few things, but I think I decided I was going to go with, please, can we have Suzuka back on the calendar? Now, Uh, I understand, I I, I won't say it was a knee-jerk reaction because obviously there was a serious accident that happened, which kind of hastened its departure from the calendar. If we remember back to 2003, Daijira Kato was Mm -hmm. killed there and I think it didn't appear on the calendar again from 2003 onwards and I think there is there are certain problems there like at certain other tracks where there's only so much you can do in terms of moving stuff back and increasing gravel traps or runoff areas or whatever but it's such a fabulous track that I think it's a real, it's just a real shame that we can't get it back onto the calendar. Certainly, Motegi pales into insignificance, you know, as a, as a comparison. And there are some great tracks in Japan. I mean, anybody that remembers watching World Superbikes back in the 90s remember places like Sugo. I mean, that's a great track as well. But I'm sure even worse in terms of barrier proximity and the inability to move those barriers back So I get that there are problems like that. Again, the call on the weekend, somebody put a shout out for the track in Turkey, uh, the Istanbul ring, is it called? Yeah,
1: Istanbul, yeah.
0: We know or we believe and we hope that Spa is is being upgraded or or modified such that it will be allowed back onto World Championship motorcycle racing in the very near future. So that's great. I mean, I'd always put a hand up for Brands Hatch. Never going to happen, but a a MotoGP (laughs) race around Brands Hatch would be absolutely awesome because that Mm -hmm. is hands down one of the best tracks in the world. Yeah. So I I was kind of thinking, well, if I could bring one track back and we could be sort of done in a way that was just about okay from a safety perspective, then particularly, you know, because we have so many of these sort of tilgadrome type tracks in four wheel, two wheel racing. They just don't do it for me. So I'm a bit old fashioned. Again, it is rose tinted glasses, but I acknowledged why Suzuka went off the calendar in the first place. It was because of a tragedy, although that was such a, I'm not sure that they ever really fully got to grips in terms of a real detailed understanding of how it was that Dajira Cato crashed in the way that he did. It was a very, very strange accident and it wasn't caught on camera uh, to any great degree, I don't believe. They come down the very long back straight, they go through that corner called 130R. And then yes. certainly on the bikes, you would slow down for 130R. You wouldn't in a Formula One car, they're pretty much flat through there now. But the bikes were slowing down and then sort of gunning it out as they came down to the chicane. And at some point coming out of 130R, I think Kato managed to basically heist himself off the bike but stayed on it enough that he careered across the track and into the barrier. So it was a very unfortunate, unusual crash that led, unfortunately, to him being killed there. So that was why Suzuka dropped off the the calendar. And I guess there's not a huge amount they could do to modify that particular corner. But it's such a great track. I just wish it could come back. Mm, I agree with you because if if you asked anybody
1: to name the three greatest tracks. I guarantee you most people would say Spa would be the no. first one that came to your mind. Monza would probably be the second one that would come to your mind. And the third one would be Zuzuka because they're just sort of the quintessential I- tr- iconic racetracks and i think we love them because they are the old school racetracks they were the ones that that's how it was from long ago and we all like that part of it and unfortunately some of the time has changed where they aren't what they are because safety and I don't want to see anybody die. But with no. Kato's crash, that there was a lot of talk about the throttle being stuck. And that was a fly-by-wire system. And it was the early-on fly-by-wire systems. And HRC was adamant that, no, there was not a throttle problem issue. They had looked through everything. And, I, yeah, that went on and on and on for a long time, trying to figure out exactly, like, what happened. And, unfortunately, like I said, it took one of
0: the great tracks off of the calendar. Motegi is fine it is not suzuka no absolutely but uh, i mean hrc well mark marquez rebroke his arm closing a window as i recall uh <laughs> you, you know i'm not sure we can always b- believe what we're told from a pr point of view but yeah in fairness when i was thinking about the whole suzuka thing and the tracks that are on there i was kind of in my mind i kind of had it that we were going to loads of these kind of herman tilke drones as we call them and in fairness to the MotoGP gp championship there are some bloody good tracks on the calendar there are not too many sort of flat featureless wide open space I'm not a huge fan of Qatar for example but you've got Mugello you've got Phillip Island Aragon I think as a modern track is one of the best tracks in the world Portimao is a stunning stunning track for a modern design so it would be unfair to label all modern tracks and as we said the track in Turkey which again one of the guys at the weekend gave a shout out that was a a really great track so it would be good to see a few of these come back or at least rotate perhaps and particularly in these sort of tricky financial times with a lot of tracks struggling financially to make ends meet you do wonder why there's not more of these agreements where they will rotate i definitely think it's wrong that or unfair given some of the other tracks that are uh, available in the world i think it's a bit unfair and unjust now that there are what four races in spain still yeah yeah
1: i understand
0: spain produces a lot of the riders and the governing body or the rights holder is spanish but four races is too many Mm -hmm. yeah i agree i think barcelona I would
1: not complain if Barcelona and Valencia would disappear from the calendar. Yeah. I mean, technically, yeah. you could say, well, there's five on the, on the Iberian Peninsula because yeah. is there.
0: No, Barcelona yeah. is not a great track for bikes, I don't think. And Valencia, you know, I know it's a good spectator track in the sense that you can see everything, but it's, it doesn't historically produce great races. So I yeah. think I'd rather finish up at Portimao than, than Valencia. I agree. So that was my number three. But there were several others that I could have gone with there. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, man, I think we have rambled on.
1: Enough, and I think we should probably bring this one to a close. Yep. Keep it short and sweet. Short and sweet. So hopefully you guys like that. If you have any ideas, questions, comments about what you would do if you had control of Adorno and MotoGP, please write us in. Send it your emails to motopod at motopodcast.com. We receive those and as well, the former host will all receive it. And usually somebody will get back to you or if not, we'll probably read it on the show uh, the next time that we meet up. If you want to reach out to either Rich or myself personally, you can find us out in the world of social media. I am at MotoRGV on both Twitter and Instagram,
0: and you are what, Rich? Just at Richard Jowett on Twitter and on Instagram. So, yeah Please feel free to connect and get in touch. Yep. So I think that's it for the show, Rich. Thank you. Call yep. it there,
1: and uh, don't think we'll be back till after at least the first round of testing at Sepang. I think.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, I think not- that works quite well there's not a lot of news at the moment certainly the first test will give us plenty to talk about so i think perhaps coming back the following week or the week after that will work quite well so look forward to that and talk to you next time all right everybody out there ride safe cheers everyone bye for now